0: You are listening to a podcast from Rocky Mountain Christian Ministries. For more information about our church, please visit us at rmcmchurch.org. You can open your Bibles this morning over to the Gospel of Matthew. I'm going to pick up on some things we started talking about last week. Uh, so we're going to pick up and we're going to be talking about reactive living. You can open up to Matthew chapter uh, 5, Matthew chapter 5, and again, we we opened this up last week, started talking about this, that our society, uh, this has been true for a long, long time, but our society, it seems to be getting more pervasive or invasive or something, that uh, people are just living reactively. We just we just react. I think a lot of it is social media. I think a lot of it is uh, the opportunity to just express whatever might be on our mind in the moment, in a second. I told you last week that I, th- I think some of the, I almost always make a mistake when I respond really quickly to an email or a text or whatever. Um, you know, if it has, unless it's just, you know, business or something. But but I've made so many mistakes responding quickly to something before I took time to see what's on God's heart about this situation. And that seems, again, it seems to be uh, just sort of a, a trend in our society that's actually increasing, that, that we're, we're just, we just blow up. When, when somebody says something we disagree with or uh, we see something that upsets us or whatever, uh, we, we just blow up. And and we begin to say things that later, oftentimes, we regret if we take time to think about it, all right? So reactive living, that's that's not really the way God has called us to live. And we went through a number of things last week, a number of scriptures about this. And, and if you were not here, uh, you can get the podcast, you can find us on YouTube, you can get a CD if you still like CDs, for free out there. But you can catch up on that teaching uh, if you want to do that. But we don't want to be people who just react to the things that are happening in our life. We want to respond from what God is doing and saying on the inside of us. And a lot of time, the problem is, see, that takes a little bit of time. It takes, it takes uh, often more time than we want to give to it. All right. And and often we, we, gave, we had this list last week we talked about uh, sometimes we're just need driven. And we looked at the from the gospel of Mark where Jesus actually was ministering to people and casting out demons and healing people. And all this was going on. The whole town shows up at his door. Jesus spends time in prayer. And then he, he walks away. The disciples came and said, you got you to gotta come back to the house. Everybody's there. Jesus says, no, we're going somewhere else. To, just completely in contrast to the needs and the demands that were being put on him at that time. He made a different decision based on what the father had shown him. And we see this throughout his life. People would ask him a question in his ministry and he would answer it seemingly you know, if we don't take time to, to really look at the scripture and what it says, he'd give an answer that seemed to have absolutely nothing to do with the question that was asked. I love that. Uh, but it got to the heart and the root often of why somebody was asking the question that they had. And so he didn't just react to people's needs He didn't just react emotionally. We talked about that, how our emotions are great and they're wonderful and we're supposed to have them and they're there for a purpose, but they are not supposed to be the driving force in what we do in life. We talked about uh, living reactively as opposed to initiating things out of what God is doing on the inside of us and letting him lead. And the one that I didn't get to was a lot of times we have reactive living when we're defensive. And a lot of times we're defensive. Def- defensive, a defensive attitude is always a manifestation of fear insecurity. It's, It's, you know, it just makes sense. If I'm defending, it's because I'm afraid. It's because I think something's coming in that I'm, I'm concerned about. But again, God didn't call us to live from fear. He didn't call us to just be reacting out of a defensive nature. He he said he gave us the spirit of power and love and a sound and disciplined mind. So there are a lot of reasons that we sometimes live reactively. But what I want to look at today, I've I've got a few verses. I'm hoping we can get to all of them today. Um, Jesus, some of the most... I don't know if difficult is exactly the right word, but it's the one I have. Uh, Some of the most difficult commands that he gave us require us to stop living reactively and to start depending on the Spirit of God in us and responding out of the Spirit of God in us. And this is one of these, um, you know, this is one of these passages, and there are a number of them we could look at, but let's just look. I'm going to begin reading here. Uh, Matthew chapter 5 in verse 43 uh, from the Amplified Bible. And I'm going to read a little more than what's up on your screen. Uh, But let's begin here in verse 43. He says, You have heard that it was said you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Now I mentioned last week, a lot of times when Jesus said, you've heard that it was said, it's because this is the teaching that they had gotten from the rabbis. But if you look into that, you'll find a lot of times what was being taught was not from the word. It was not from the Torah. It was not from what God had said. Uh, After God had spoken and that was recorded, then uh, the rabbis added. There was a whole oral teaching that went along with it. There were lots of laws that were not the laws God had given. They were laws that had been introduced because that's what, that's what law does, is you get one law, then you have to have 15 other laws to try and close all the loopholes in that law, and it's just what law does. And so there was a lot of that going on. So Jesus said, you've heard it said, okay, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Well, love your neighbor is in the Torah. Hate your enemy was in the oral, <laughs> oral law. God never said hate your enemy. He said love your neighbor. Okay, so so Jesus brings that out. He says, but I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you to show. This is the reason that we want to love our enemies and pray for, really pray for, not for their demise and destruction. Okay, it's not that kind of prayer. All right, get them, Lord. No, it's not that kind of prayer. We are to pray for and bless those who persecute us, those who antagonize us. Well, you just don't see much of that happening in society right now. But this is what Jesus said. Pray for those who persecute you. Why? To show that you are children of your Father who is in heaven, for or because he makes his sun rise on the wicked and on the good. He makes rain fall upon the upright and wrongdoers alike. Now, this verse is telling us that we are supposed to live in a way that demonstrates that we are children of God. And that word children is that Greek word "huios," which means adult children who are in business with the father. And they go out and they represent the father's interests. All right, that's the kind of children. I'm not talking about infants here. It's a different Greek word. All right. These, these are adult children. These are mature children. They're part of the family and they represent the family business. When they go out and speak in the father's name, it's just like the father was there speaking. That's what he's saying. He's saying if, if you learn to love your enemies, you're demonstrating that you're a child of the father. You're an adult child of the father because he sends a measure of blessing on everybody. There's no question that throughout the scripture, there is a distinction between the family of God and those who are not yet the family of God. There's no question about it. There's a difference eternally. There's a difference in uh, the measure of his favor and blessing that we walk in. There there are uh, others a difference in the measure of revelation. There's a difference in the fact that you have the Holy Spirit living on the inside of you and others do not you know, like it or not, I know that's an unpopular concept in today's culture. We want to make everything the same. It isn't. All right. But God does not hate those that are outside of the family. God loves those that are outside of the family. God loves everybody. He loves everybody. It's just that when you come into the family, which is an open door to everybody, if you come into the family, you have a different experience. You're part of the family. You have a different experience. So he's, so he's not saying here that because God pours out a measure of blessing on people that there isn't any difference between being part of the body of Christ and not knowing Jesus and not. There is a difference. Okay? Is everybody okay with that? Everybody clear with that? I'm not going to ask if you're okay with it. Did you understand what I said? Yes? No? Possibly? Okay. Good enough. So he says, and then he goes on and he, he defines this. He says, for if you love those who love you, what reward can you have? Do not even the tax collectors do that? And they were kind of the low end of society, right? And if you greet only your brethren, that would be family is what he's talking about there. If, if, you, know, if, if, you're only, if you only love family, and there's a lot of this that goes on and it's kind of viewed as a good thing. It's all about family. It's only about family. Family's important. God loves family, okay? But it's not all about family. There are people outside of your family that God wants you to love. There are people outside of your family that God wants you to pour out to. It's not all just about family. And sometimes, sometimes, we set family and issues of family above what God is saying to us. That's a real trap. It's not a good thing. All right. But he says, if you only greet those, if you only greet your brethren, your family, what more than others are you doing? Do not even the Gentiles or the heathen do that. All right. So here's the deal. He's saying, if we just love people that love us, we're only living at a level of love that all the world lives in. Alright? He's not condemning the world for living in that level of love. He's not condemning the world for it. He's just calling us to a higher level. And there's a reason for that. He's just calling us to a higher form of love because the love of God, that unconditional, unextinguishable uh, love of God has been, the scripture says, poured out into our hearts by the Holy Spirit. It has been, I think the King James says, shed abroad in our hearts. It's been poured in. To our hearts, we have, we have a different ability to love. We certainly have a different example of love, but we actually have a different ability to love than people that don't know Jesus. And so he's saying, look, if you do it this way, if you just love those who love you, and, and what happens there, and we talked about this a little last week, if we're only loving people who love us, what we're demonstrating is that their love for us is our source of ability to love them back. Does that make sense? If, if it's just people that love us, then we're receiving their love and we're letting that love be the foundation of us loving them, all right? God loves and pours out some blessing on people that have never loved him and never will love him. Even on those who absolutely reject him, his love is different. And so Jesus is calling us to a different form of love. And he's saying, if you only do what the world does, you know, what reward is there in that? He's telling us that there is a a love that we can tap into and we can pour out. And why would that be? It's because we have a different source of love. Somebody's love of me or somebody's acceptance for me is not my source of loving them back. If, if we love them in spite of them uh, acting like our enemies or persecuting us or whatever, we love those people anyway, we're demonstrating, we're demonstrating that we have a different internal source of love, ability to love. And we see this throughout the scripture that, you know, in the New Testament, we are always called to a higher level, grace always calls us to a higher level. Grace calls us to overcome sin, not just cover sin with the blood of a lamb. Grace calls us because grace carries the power to release in us, to enable us to overcome, to enable us to live uh, love, to enable us to have faith, to enable us. Grace enables. You know, and again, we preach this a lot around here, but uh, some of you may have never heard it. Uh, That word grace in, in the New Testament, the Greek word grace, it does mean unmerited favor, which almost all of us have heard that. It does. It means that you can't earn it. It can't possibly be earned. You can't work for it. It's favor that flows from the throne of God to us just because of his love and who he is. Yes, it is that. But it is also used to describe a flow of God's power and life that enables us to be and do what we could never be or do on our own. It it absolutely it's part of the definition of the word, and we see it played out that way. You know, Paul calls his his call to be an apostle and his and and the gifts and the abilities that flowed through him in that office, he calls that a grace. You know, there is a flow of power. Um Titus chapter 2, verses 11 and 12, right in there someplace, tells us that grace teaches us how to live a godly life and and to pursue holiness, to live a holy, godly life. Grace does. It, It doesn't just say, oh, okay, never mind. You can do whatever you want and I'll cover it. That's not what grace is about. Grace gives you power. And that's what Jesus is saying. He's calling us to a higher level of love. So that's not re, that's not a reactive lifestyle where we just react. Somebody says something we don't like, man, we're going to let them have it, you know. We're going to we're going to blow up their Twitter feed. We're going to you know whatever. We're going to nail them. We're going to we're going to go around and say bad things behind their back. We're going to harbor a grudge in our hearts. That's reactive living. Jesus is saying you have something bigger on the inside of you to live from. You have something bigger, and so He's calling us to that and when we live that way we're demonstrating the fact that we are his children we're demonstrating the fact where it's it's becoming visible what's going on on the inside of us is becoming visible to others there's no question the scripture treats believers differently and calls them to a higher level here here's just two two quick uh verses about this or passages about this 1 Corinthians chapter 3 Verses 1 through 3, Paul's writing here and he says, Brothers, I could not address you as spiritual, but as worldly. Well, there's a differentiation right there. Spiritual, worldly, okay? I couldn't address you as spiritual, but as worldly. Mere infants in Christ, I gave you milk, not solid food, for you were not yet ready for it. Indeed, you're still not ready. You are still worthy, uh, worldly, sorry. For since there is jealousy and quarreling among you, are you not worldly? I love this. Are you not acting like mere men? Well, the implication there is that we're not mere men, mere human beings. We're not on the level of just our humanity and what we can do based out of our emotions and based out of trying to have good behavior and all that. He's saying, you know, I'm looking at this, I'm seeing corruption, I'm seeing anger, I'm seeing jealousy, I'm seeing factions in the church. And he says, you know, I I couldn't, I couldn't even give you, couldn't bring you into the word at the level that I wanted to do because you're still worldly. You're acting like mere human beings, mere human beings. So remember this, you're not a mere human being. You are a child of God. Filled with the spirit of God. You have the life of God on the inside of you. Not only are you not a mere human being. You're not a mere. Now they're trying to tell us we're just animals. We're just like every other animal. And we have to respond like every other animal. It's not true. It's not true. You were designed for something greater than that. And if you're a believer today. You've got something greater than that. Living on the inside of you. Here's another passage. Exodus chapter 33 verses 15 and 16. This is when one of the several times when Moses and God were going back and forth about who, who Israel belonged to. God, these are your people. No, Moses, these are your people. You take them, do something with them. I don't claim them. You know, they were having one of those discussions, which they had a few times. And, uh, Moses is speaking to the Lord and he comes back and he says, if your presence does not go with me, do not carry us up from me. It was a time where the Lord was saying, look, I'll send you into the promised land. You can have the promised land. I'll send an angel with you, but I'm not going with these people. That's what he was saying. He was fed up. And, and Moses is coming back interceding and saying, no, Lord, remember, these are your people. These are not my people. These are your people. You started this whole thing. And and he says to God, he says, If your presence does not go with me, do not carry us up from here. For by what shall it be known that I and your people have found favor in your sight? Is it not in your going with us so that we are distinguished? We are distinguished, I and your people, from all the other people on the face of the earth. He says, It's your presence. It's your presence that distinguishes us and distinguishes our lives. And that's what Jesus is calling to. He's saying, loving your enemies shows forth that you are distinguished, you are separate, you're different because the presence of God lives in you and upon you. You have an ability. And I know some of us are sitting there going, yeah, but you don't know what this person did or what they said or whatever. The grace of God is bigger than whatever it is. The grace of God is bigger. It'll, it may take some time for you to get your heart turned around to where you can pray for that person. I can always tell when I've really finally forgiven somebody because I can honestly pray for them. I'm honestly from the heart. I can still remember what happened, and it might even still tick me off. But underneath all that, there's a concern for their lives. There's a love for their lives. There's something bigger underneath all of that. And I can release that in prayer and genuinely ask, Lord, bless this person. And bring, bring them to that saving knowledge. Make them everything that you intend for them. Bring them into that life. Make them everything that you intend for them. And, you know, we talked about this last week. We're not called to live in opposition to the world. We're, we're called to live in contrast to the world. But the world's not our enemy, Okay it's it's not in in general god wants to reach the world. jesus died to reach the world, not to condemn the world. he's he said that, all right? are you with me? okay. so i want to talk for the remaining we have 15 minutes or so left, 15 or 20 minutes, 25 30 something like that. um i want to talk to you about this issue of the only way that we can live in everything i've just been talking to you about, is if we start being rooted, rooted in Christ, rooted in his word, uh, if we start really putting down roots in him so that, and this is the reason the Bible uses this language, so that his life can flow through us and produce fruit from his life, not from our life, right? That's how this works. But this whole issue of being uh, fruited... (laughs) Rooted and fruitful. Fruited. Uh, this whole issue of being rooted is a huge deal because again, this is just a cultural thing. We're kind of moving away from having any roots. We're, we're moving away from roots in family, roots in any place that we might live. We bounce from one thing to another. We don't develop good roots in our thought life and in our ideas and in the Lord. Uh, we don't, we, you know, We don't stick with things. And that has, that uprootedness uh, just lends to this whole reactive living thing. So it's really important. And the Lord, I felt like, gave me this statement, things that are rooted don't react. I mean, think about it, you know, the trees, okay, don't react when you when you walk up. Somebody, one of you science people is going to say, oh, actually, plants do this. I know. I, I don't care. Uh, I don't care and I don't need to hear it. Um, you know, they don't freak out and run off. They don't freak out and throw an apple at your head. They don't, you know, they don't do this stuff. They're rooted. They're stable. They're standing. They withstand pressure and produce fruit. They, they withstand pressure and produce fruit. Fruit. Okay? So Psalm chapter one, I love this passage. It's just kind of one of my life passages. Psalm chapter one, verses one through three. It says, Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, or stand in the way of sinners, or sit in the seat of mockers, but his delight, notice that word delight, is in the law of the Lord, that's the word of God, and on his law he meditates day and night. Meditating the word is a process that puts down roots. It means to revolve in the mind. So we're revolving the word in the mind. You know how revolving works, right? So you're taking part of the scripture. You're literally on purpose, intentionally revolving it in your mind, thinking on that piece of scripture, thinking on the different words that are in it over and over and over. It means to speak aloud to yourself. Okay, so people can think you're crazy. Speak the word aloud to yourself. And it means to imagine So we're letting the word paint new images on the inside of us in our heart. That's meditating the word. Tremendously, tremendously powerful process that you don't hear that much about these days. Um, But so it says, on his law, he meditates day and night. He is like, this person is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season whose leaf does not wither, whatever he does prospers. Okay. That word delight back there, this person delights himself in the word of God. That word delight, it does speak of what we take pleasure in. Okay. So meditating in the word is supposed to be pleasurable. And it speaks of the inclination of our heart. Where do you lean when something happens? When something impacts your life or... You know, for a lot of us, there are things that we face in life that, you know, there are some things we think about facing in life. There are other things that come along and I never even thought about it, never even imagined being in this situation. And here I am. And, and in that situation, where does your heart lean? Where, what is its inclination? Do you step back rather than react, step back and say in your heart, Lord, what have you said? about this? And what are you saying about this? What have you said in your word? What have you said in my past? Almost always, this is a great key if you don't have it already. Almost always when you face something, if you've been paying attention, if you've been spending time with the Lord, when you face something in life, if you think back over the last six months, year, year and a half, God has already brought you some truth that applies to that situation. He he is so good at preparing us ahead of time. And this whole I'll make some people mad here. This this whole idea that God's the God of the last minute, I think that is a religious lie about God. He's really good. It feels that way. I understand where it comes from, because we come up to it we haven't been paying any attention, all of a sudden, boom, you know, and then God provides. I don't think that's supposed to be the nature of the way that we live. We're supposed to be walking with him and he prepares us for things, but it takes a little stepping back and thinking about it and listening and asking, Lord, what have you said? And what's your first response? Do you run to what the world has said? Do you run to this? Do you run to that? Or do you run to, Lord, what have you said? And what are you saying about the situation? I, I need to know that the person who inclines into the word will put down roots and when that season comes, says you'll bear fruit in season, right? Did you see that? It'll bear fruit in season. Well, a lot of times that season is when something comes up in your life. And and because you have put down roots in the Lord, the word of the Lord will be there. The direction, the wisdom, the instruction, it'll be there. It'll pop up in your heart. Scripture will pop up in your heart. The truth will pop up in your heart. Uh, you know the the you'll you 'll know that hey i i have i I know someone in the body of christ who 's been through this and i 'm going to connect with them. It will pop up in your heart there will be fruit of his life that comes up to meet the need or the or the you know interaction what whatever it might be okay but in the in that season when a need or opportunity arises, that fruit of the inward life of Jesus Christ in you will rise up to meet it. But that requires that we're living a lifestyle of meditating the word, spending time his word, inclining toward his word, delighting, taking pleasure, just enjoying him and enjoying his word. You know, if, don't ever let your time in the word just become, uh, you know, stale and stagnant and work. You know, I have to read this many chapters. No, you really don't. What you need is the word, The verse, read until something speaks to you and then stay there and stay on what's speaking to you. And when when that is, uh, you know, kind of done speaking to you and read until something else speaks to you, you know, but hang on to the stuff that speaks to you. That's what the Lord is putting his uh, life on for us. We've known people who, you know, just stay steadfast and seek God in what I would call the off seasons of their life. You know, when things are, going really bad or they're meeting something they never expected to meet and they're having to walk through something they never never thought of and they're going through this really hard time in their life and they stick with the Lord and they do not let go and they continue to worship and they, they don't panic and run off to some other trust in something else and they just really stick with the Lord. We've seen those people grow tremendously in the midst of those situations that could have just destroyed them, could have blown their house down if they didn't stay rooted in God, okay? Um, Let's go to one more passage and we'll be done today. John chapter 15, verses one through eight, probably very familiar to a number of you. I'm gonna read this today from the Passion Translation. I just love the way this reads. John chapter 15, again, this is just for me personally, one of my favorite passages. I come back to this one again and again and again. John chapter 15, beginning in verse 1. Jesus speaking here, he says, I am the true sprouting vine. If you don't have the passion, just kind of listen. Some of this is up here. I'm going to go a little farther than what's on your screen. but I'm the true sprouting vine, and the farmer who tends the vine is my father. He cares for the branches. notice this verse two is he's going to give us two things that the lord that the Father does to make us fruitful in life. He cares for the branches connected to me by lifting and propping up the fruitless branches so these branches are connected to Jesus all right, but they're not bearing fruit and This is a picture from uh in a in a vineyard I guess they you know they don't want the grapes laying on the ground because all kinds of bad things happen to them. So they lift those branches up, they prop them up. I don't know anything about that, but I notice that when you drive by a vineyard, there's all these sticks, right, and stuffs growing up the sticks. But anyway, that's what it's about. It's so what it's saying is the Father will come along when you're, you're connected to Jesus but you're not producing fruit in an area, he will lift you up to himself. He'll actually draw you into greater intimacy to himself and he will get you up off the ground. That's a pretty good word right there. I mean, a lot of times just need to be picked up off the ground. Okay, I need to stop drawing out of the ground. All right. Instead, I need to be lifted up to the father where I can get his life and his air around me, you know, and, and his words and his people and all that. So that's the first one is he'll lift you up, prop up the fruitless branches and pruning every fruitful branch to yield a greater harvest. He will prune the fruitful areas in our lives and us as fruitful people. He will prune those, his intention is that we would have a greater and greater and greater harvest. Couple interesting things as you go through this passage, the word pruning and the word cleansing both come from the exact same Greek word. We don't, in our brains, it's like pruning and cleansing are two totally different processes. In the Greek, it's the same word. All right, so so he's talking about cleansing us. He's talking about cutting off old growth. He's, you know, we have a bunch of lilacs around our house. And I hadn't done anything with them in ever, I guess, <laughs> 23 years. And last year, you know, they're getting to where they're still lilacs and they had, you know, but it was mostly old growth and hardly any flowers and, you know, these scraggly things. And and they were tall, but they were awful. So anyway, I went in there last fall and I pruned. And uh, when I prune, it's kind of, I have used a chainsaw. Yeah, yeah, slash and burn, Karen says. I did it while she wasn't looking. And I cut so much of that stuff out of there. And honestly, both of us are looking at them going, I don't know, nothing might come back from this. There's just nothing there. And then we had this hard winter and there's ice falling off into them and breaking them down. I mean, you know, it didn't look good in the spring. But now these things have, I mean, they've grown from the ground up to like this high and huge leaves on them. I've never seen such big leaves on lilacs. I imagine, hopefully, next year, there will actually be flowers on them. Maybe we'll cut the rest of the dead stuff out. But that's what God does, is he, he removes old stuff that we don't need anymore, that isn't producing life. It's fruitless. He'll remove that stuff. And he does it. It's a cleansing process. Um, Jesus says in verse 3, this is so important. The words I have spoken over you have already cleansed you. It's the same word as pruning. So he does it with his word. Get this out of your head that if God's going to prune me, it's because he's going to send disaster into my life to prune me. No, he's going to do it with his word. He's going to train you. He's going to instruct you. He's going to speak to your heart. Now you have to respond to the word, you know, but he'll remove the old stuff and make way for the new stuff so that our lives can become more fruitful. And, and for the person who allows that pruning to go on, there's just more and more and more harvest up the road. You're probably not seeing all the harvest you want in your life right now. Who is? you know? But God's intention is for you to have more and more and more of his fruit. Remember, that word fruit, again, from the Greek, the word karpos, it means the outward and visible expression of life that is at work Inwardly and invisibly, okay, so his life is at work in your heart inwardly and invisibly, and it will produce it will produce fruit it'll it'll produce different behavior it will produce different attitudes and ideas it will produce all of this stuff on the outside of us. Let me continue with this. We've just got a few minutes left. Let me read through the rest of this passage. verse four. He says, so you must remain in life union with me. It's the idea of being grafted into him, you know, rooted in him, rooted in his word. For I remain, I love that, it's a promise. I remain in life union with you. You must remain in life union with me. I do remain in life union with you. That's a good thing. For as a branch severed from the vine will not bear fruit, so your life will be fruitless Unless you live your life intimately joined to mine, verse five, I love this. I am the sprouting vine, and you are the branches. Listen to the way that passion does this. as you live in union with me as your source, fruitfulness will stream from within you. Isn't that good fruitfulness will stream from within you. That's not you trying to shove fruit out through a little hole, okay. <laughs> Fruit is streaming from within you because his life is so big and so good on the inside of you. And you know what? Just as I'm saying that, I feel like somebody's feeling in their heart like, not me, not me. This just isn't me. It is you. And he says, I will remain in life union with you. It is you. God's faithful, God's made this connection. You just need to stay connected to him. He'll make it work. He'll, his grace is awesome. His ability is awesome. It's This is for you. This is for you. Fruitfulness will stream from within you. But when you live separated from me, you're powerless. If a person is separated from me, he is discarded. Such branches are gathered up and thrown into the fire to be burned. But if you live in life union with me and my words live powerfully in you. So the idea is we live rooted in him and we let his words be rooted in us. Then you can ask whatever you desire and it'll be done. How can he say that? Because your desires are going to be his desires at that point. When your lives bear abundant fruit, you demonstrate. Here's that word again. You demonstrate that you are mature disciples who glorify my father. Isn't that awesome? So is this whole idea of we don't want to just live reacting, reacting, reacting to everything that comes along and what that's going to require of us. And this is hard. And I think in today's life, today's society, we need to slow down. We need to take a breath. We often need to step back from a decision or a a reaction. You know, we need to step back. We need to... Spend some time with the Lord. Ask him, what have you said? What are you saying about this? And I'm going to respond from that. And sometimes you have to wait a while. And it's uncomfortable. It's really good for us. It's part of that training process, part of that discipling process. But sometimes we just have to exercise patience, knowing. You have to do this from a place trusting he's going to remain connected to us. Okay? Not hearing anything today, it doesn't mean he's gone away. Okay? He is absolutely faithful to us and to perform his word in us and through us. Did you get anything out of this today? All right, let's stand up and pray together. I think they're already out there cooking burgers for us. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Father God. Lord, my prayer this morning for every one of us, Lord, is that we would be a people who are able to live that rooted life in you and in your word, and that, Father, we would find that fruitfulness just streaming out of our lives. The ability to forgive a person we never thought we could forgive. The ability to overcome a sin we never thought we could overcome. The ability, Lord, to have your wisdom about different situations and the direction of our lives. The ability to have strong, vital relationships with one another. The ability to love people Lord, the way that you love people, the, the ability to love people that don't necessarily love us. Lord, we just pray, Father, that there would be that fruit, Lord, where we need patience. God, that patience would flow from us, where we need faith, Lord, that it would stream up out of that relationship with you. Lord, a, a peace, Father God, where there's just an agitation and fear. Lord, that peace, would result from our spending time in you and with you father i pray for all of those on a supernatural level for every person in this room lord and, and holy spirit we thank you that you continue to lead us and guide us further and further and further into this relationship you continue lord to, to holy spirit to just open the word to us and bring that life out of it to where we're just we're just feeding on the life of god day after day after day and I pray, Father, over all of us that as all that's going on in us, that we go out into this community, we go out into our part of this world, and we bear fruit, and we, that fruit can be fed upon by other people. Lord, your life comes forth in a way that feeds other people. And we thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, well, if you need prayer, if you need personal prayer for something, I'm going to hang out up here for a bit. Love to pray for you. And otherwise, everybody just, you know, go out, enjoy one another, grab something to eat, and uh, have a good time. Yes, ma'am. Oh, yeah. If you, if, again, see, this introvert thing keeps coming up. There's also, if there's not enough seating out there, there is a really nice seating area out here. Or if you ever want to come down and just hang out there and pray or whatever, there's a nice seating area on the east side of the building. And uh, so you can use that today or any other time. All right. Let's say this on the count of three. We're going to say Jesus is Lord over the Gunnison Basin and the world. And we're going to mean it. All right. One, two, three. Jesus Jesus is Lord Lord over the Gunnison Basin and the world. Amen. Go out there and be the church, you guys.